Hello and welcome to another edition of the End Zone Podcast. My name is Eric Jensen, returning home to the studios at Shirley Lane in Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, back home, back moved back from university, brave new world. Somehow, Ryan, like, I've been done with school for two days, but both days I've had massive panic attacks and, like, my anxiety's been through the roof. Uh, so that makes no sense to me. I mean, I'm, I'm done with the stressful part, but I guess it just gets harder from here. So, uh, yeah, excited to be back. Uh, you know, expect more podcasting maybe next off season, next uh, football season with more free, free time and maybe some more blogging too. So unless I figure out a way to eat up my spare time with something else, which maybe I will, but yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's that, and I'm gonna stop rambling about my personal life and welcome back Trey Watkins. Trey, thanks for joining us. I know it's been a crazy 48 hours for you with draft coverage and stuff, so we appreciate you being up this morning. I know this is early for uh, a little bit early for all of us. We're about 11:39 where you guys are at, 10:39 my time here in the Mountain Time Zone. So. Thanks for joining us, Trey. No problem, man. Draft the like the first day after round one is always pretty hectic uh, day. So uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm glad to join. Yeah, the draft after the first round, of course, gets to you know good players get drafted in the later rounds. We're not saying anything like that, but. To me, it's always important to have first-round draft reactions because these are the guys that people are going to be looking at big time next year, and most of them won't work out. Time to just get into it here. No more preamble. They cut me off from my preamble. It was going to be a waste of time anyways. Let's get into the NFL draft. Going pick by pick, that would be a colossal, like, time suck. So I don't think we're going to do that. we will go more in detail through the first 10 or so, and then we'll kind of fly through some other picks. So at one, the Jacksonville Jaguars take Trayvon Walker. To me, a surprise, but not really. Trent Balky has never lost a power struggle. And, uh, you know, this just makes too much sense to me for the Jags. Like, they're the Jags. They're always doing the thing they really shouldn't be doing and like not taking the sure bet and Aiden Hutchinson gambling entirely on upside. I'm sure Trayvon Walker will likely with the situation he's in not be renewed for a second contract might be out of the league in four years, but Hey, I guess you took your number one overall pick on Trayvon Walker instead of like using it on Aiden Hutchinson or like an offensive tackle that could have helped out Trevor Lawrence more or even trading back for a wide receiver. I mean, it, it it's just the Jaguars. So I'm not going to really co- comment anymore. I just think the Jaguars are still showing signs of real incompetence. And this pick is, is part of that. Yeah. And look, I get the whole name of the game of valuing projection over uh, I guess you could say um, a prospect that has the tools to actually be the real deal way earlier than an actual uh, player with loads of potential, because this is, this is, you know, this pick is basically just banking on potential. That's really what it is. Trayvon Walker. Uh, and, and this was said a lot, you know, throughout the pre-draft process, Trayvon Walker wasn't even uh, the third best player on that defense last year. And that, that's not to say that he's a bad football player. Uh, that's just to say that the production uh, and his play on tape just wasn't as good as some of the other guys on that defense. Uh, so, sure, you can look at the 40 time that he had and all the combine numbers that, that he had, and you could you know, easily say, sure, we can mold this guy into a pretty high-impact defensive football player. But history shows that – these type of picks usually just don't work out unless you have a really, really, really competent staff and organization behind that player that's really committed towards making that player the best player that he can be. And are we sure the Jags are that type of organization? 
you know, and I, you know, despite Doug Peterson going there, you know, I still have a lot of respect for Doug Peterson, but is that coaching staff really going to be able to really help develop Walker and, you know, turn him into a, a, a number one overall player with that type of impact? I just don't think so. So Bulky has had this, uh, this mindset for years when he's drafting, he wants to go potential uh, and he loves the upside of, you know, high potential players. But at some point you're going to have to realize that you're going to have to take, you know, the proven thing and the guy with the better tools and the guy with the better chance to succeed early uh, and down the line as well. So I don't know. It's, it's, I would say it's a weird pick, but like Eric said, bulky is just a weird guy that, you know, it just fits him. So uh, yeah. That's really my thoughts on it, in all honesty. Yeah, I thought uh, similar to uh, Trey on that with the Walker pick. I definitely had Aiden Hutchinson as my top overall player, as I think most people did. Uh, it seemed like Walker really kind of picked up steam, you know, with the week kind of going into the draft. It was like, okay, it seems pretty realistic that Walker's going to go. I was really closely following like the betting lines. Uh, there's so many smoke screens, of course, during, during draft time, it's hard to know what reports to trust, but usually the betting lines kind of give you a nice little insight into what we can kind of expect. And Walker's odds just kept getting lower and lower for it to go first overall as we approached the draft. So I kind of was expecting it once it ended up happening I thought it was definitely interesting. You know, they're able to pair him with Josh Allen on the edge, um, you know, to provide. Yeah, hold really on. I, actually, I was thinking about that. Didn't they cut Josh Allen or or release him? No, they just picked up his fifth year option, man. Oh, OK. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, that's embarrassing that. for me. <laughs> yeah, they'll have that duo, but I mean, they still have so many holes. Like I still thought, you know, Akeem Aquana would still be a solid pick for him potentially, you know, shoring up the offensive line to help protect Lawrence. You know, Trey mentioned them getting Doug Peterson, an offensive minded head coach. I think that would have made, you know, maybe even a little bit more sense if they, you know, were not sold on Hutchinson for whatever reason, but ended up not doing that. You know, Walker definitely has the upside. I, I think really like the, the best comp I kind of had for a situation like this isn't even in the sport of football, which a lot of times can be concerning, but like you look at Giannis in, in the NBA, of course, like just a pure athletic freak. And, you know, it turns out that he was able to develop into an incredible basketball player. And now the Bucs have an MVP on their hand because they bet on the athletic upside and it ended up coming true. Now, Trayvon Walker, he's got the pure speed. He's got the pure size. He has the raw traits to be able to be a star impact player. He really does. But I question his ability as a football player compared to some of the other players that were passed up on that, you know, the Jaguars decided to, you know, not select. I think even Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, you know, who ends up going fifth overall in this draft was another edge rusher that had incredible athletic upside. I think if you were going for that upside pick, Thibodeau is a little bit better football player to me than Walker is. So I thought it was kind of an interesting pick for sure. I definitely think Walker is a solid player, but I, I would be very surprised, honestly, to see Walker kind of live up to the potential of a number one overall selection. Yeah, indeed. Let's move on to two and let's combine this with the two first round picks the Detroit Lions had. At, at two, the Lions take Aiden Hutchinson and then they trade up to get Jamison Williams at 12 with Minnesota giving up their uh, second round pick in the process. Okay, guys, so I'll just start here. I saw a lot of Lions fans like sad on Twitter for some reason. Okay, guys, like at some point, like I, I get that you're the Lions, but like you can't feel bad for yourself all the time. Like to me, they're the winner. They're like one of the biggest winners of round one. Like you have Aiden Hutchinson, arguably the number one prospect fall to you add Aiden Hutchinson to a defense that overperformed last year and you add a guy that's going to give you pass rush production and probably give you like 12 sacks a year. That's pretty good. I know that's not crazy. I know there have been better pass rushers before that have come out, but for this year, you got the best available. And then you go get Jamison Williams, who some people think is the wide receiver one in this draft class. And Hey, even if he's out until November, that doesn't really matter because you're the Lions and you're not expected to be competitive this year. And then think about it. Like, worst comes to worst, you have a top five pick next year. You move some later round picks to move up to one or two. You get C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young, and suddenly you have an offense 
with CJ Stroud slash Bryce Young, Amon Rossi Brown, TJ Hawkinson, Jamison Williams, you know, DeAndre Swift, and a solid offensive line anchored by Penny Sewell. And suddenly the NFC North is like a very weak division right now. And in a year, who knows what we're looking at as far as if Kirk Cousins will still be on the Vikings, if Aaron Rodgers will still be around in football. Like, the Lions could be in a really good place to, like, step up and be an NFC North competitor in 2023. I know it's going to suck again this year, but, like, they absolutely crushed this draft to me because they 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 took two players that will immediately make them better and especially players that can use a year where they don't have to be as competitive to develop and then you're going to get these guys in their prime second year jump right when you get your new starting quarterback next year i mean it's to me the lions are just a really well-run franchise right now. They've done this rebuild right, and I'm excited to see what happens with them. Yeah, I agree with what you said earlier, Eric, about, you know, Lions fans really shouldn't feel down about their draft results because, you know, you get Aiden Hutchinson, who was always going to be the first or second overall selection in this draft. He's a real good prospect, real good player. Uh, Certainly has some flaws in this game that, stand to be corrected and but you know that's you know what these prospects are for you get them in coach them up and you hope you develop them you know to the point they're good football players so same with Jamison Williams though Uh, I was you know if Jamison Williams didn't tear his ACL I think he would have been probably the first wide receiver drafted because you know if you're unfamiliar with Jamison Williams the guy has afterburners (laughs) and I mean afterburners to spare man Uh, he's one of the best yak receivers in this draft you know arguably the best um, real good speed, real good hands. I think the Lions really got what they needed. And, and, you know, I think they're set up, like you said, you know, they just need a couple years to really get things in order. And uh, who knows? But, you know, right now they're looking pretty set. You know, you know, love Hutchison, love the Williams, you know, love the Hutchison and Williams picks. And uh, we'll see how it goes. But for sure, they, they're, you know, their future outlook looks pretty positive and much better compared to when the draft, you know, first began. Yeah, I agree for sure. Definitely a lot of credit to their general manager, Brad Holmes. He's done a nice job so far in his uh, time with Detroit to take on a roster that is, you know, known to be one of the worst in the NFL. And now he's like, okay, we're, we're starting to get some pieces in there. You know, they ended up grabbing two of my top seven players uh, in the draft entirely. Hutchinson was my top guy. And then I had Jamison Williams ranked seventh in this draft class in total. So I really like that move that they had to trade up with the Vikings uh, to grab Williams at 12. I didn't even feel like they gave up too much. You know, they were initially slated at 32 for their second, third round pick in the Matt Stafford trade that the Rams obviously won the Super Bowl. They were at 32 end up moving up to 12, move up 20 spots in the first round. And it only cost them 12 draft spots in the second round and a third round pick. So I really didn't even think that price was too much. And I really liked the player with Jamison Williams. As I mentioned, he was my top receiver, ends up being the fourth receiver off the board, even though they were flying early. So I really like that pick for the Lions, you know, starting to see things turn a little bit. You know, you grab Penny Sewell in recent years, you grab uh, Jeffrey Okuda in recent years early on. Now you're starting to see some foundational pieces start to come on that roster. Still, as you mentioned, Eric, not a team I'm expecting to compete next year, but put yourself in a position where, Hey, maybe next year, if we're, you know, picking again in the top 10, there's a good quarterback or two with potential with uh, Bryce young and CJ Straub. Maybe the lions can start to, uh, you know, see things turn around for him in the next couple of years, for sure. Moving on here, the Houston Texans take Derek Stingley, just spending a moment on this. Every year there are some draft smoke screens. I think to me, this year's biggest one was that, Derek Stingley was going to fall super far because of the medicals. Clearly teams were like, okay, refreshment tapes enough. Like he is an athletic freak. The Texans need good players. And I think they got a good player. So this, this pick makes a lot of sense to me. And then uh, the other Texans pick that uh, went off the board, uh, Kenyon Green, uh, probably the top rated offensive guard in the draft, give a little protection for Davis Mills in year two. 
The Texans, you can't say the same thing about the Texans that you said about the Lions just because the roster is so much weaker. But these are two picks that are value positions, kind of offensive line and uh, cornerback, and therefore are going to help them out. Hopefully, I think the Texans had an okay draft. I think they did as well. I mean, you get Derek Stingley and – yeah, and some people were really low on him, or not really low, but were a little bit lower on him compared to his freshman season when he had a ridiculous year and showed out in the college football playoffs. So you get Stingley there, and, you know, you work your way throughout the draft. I'm trying to look up who they got in the – with their I believe it was their second first-round pick. Um, please yeah, it was Kenny Green. Kenny Green, okay, yes. Uh, King and Green, I thought he was an actual target for the Titans because he's simply just an absolute mauler in the run game. Uh, he's not the most elite athlete for an offensive lineman, but he's still decent enough to where if you uh, if you get caught by him in space, you're going to get absolutely destroyed. So uh, that's a good foundational offensive line piece for the Texans who, you know, that the offensive line has really been one of the, I guess you say, the headaches of the team over the last couple of years, but they found some pieces there. They still have Laramie Tunzel on the left side, Tyus Howard on the right. They just needed to find some more good guards so they can keep building the offensive line, and they got King and Green. So uh, good first round by the Texas, in my opinion. Um, I think I would have taken Zion Johnson over King and Green, in my opinion, but those two are still just, you know, comparing those two, those two are just still good football players, and they're both going to be good football players. So uh Good first round by the Texans, and I'm interested to see what they do for the rest of the draft for sure. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, their secondary was a, a big need, was really, really bad the, the last few years, as was a lot of places on this football team. But I definitely have no issue with the Stingley pick. Uh, you know, he looked really good at his pro day in terms of how he was able to move and recovering from his injury. I think that gave a lot of teams, you know, some confidence that, hey, Derek Stingley is still a guy we're, we're going to be considering in the top five. You know, the Texans, they're, they're another team where it's like, hey, do you consider going, you know, with the line of scrimmage here? You know, Thibodeau and Aquanu and Neal are still on the board for them at this spot. They take the shot with Stingley, and then I like that they came back and still were able to grab offensive line later in the first round with Green. I still think that's strong, uh, you know, resource allocation. You know, the offense, to me, is, is a big mess. I think you could argue this is one of the worst offenses in football. But if you're going to build anywhere, build on the offensive line. You mentioned it, Trey. You know, you still have Tunsil, who's, who's still a very well-respected tackle, and Titus Howard, a former first-round pick. You're still trying to develop and, and see if you have something there. You throw Kenyon Green in there, and now you're starting to see some foundation of that offensive line start to take shape. So I like the thought process process for what the Texans are doing still a long way to go still one of the worst teams in football there's a reason they were picking this high and of course trading Deshaun Watson they're they're in for a multi-year uh situation where they're going to be picking you know pretty high in the draft but thought they got some good football players for sure yeah moving on the Jets take Sauce Gardner and then later pick up Garrett Wilson you know at first, I kind of didn't like the Sauce Gardner pick last night, but the more I've thought about it, like, Ryan, you're familiar. Trey, obviously, you, you've you done these a few times. Every year we do the division previews and we look at the Jets' position groups. I always say, who exactly are the Jets playing at corner? And it's always a bunch of nobodies. So, to me, this pick does make sense in the end. Cornerback's a premium position. Robert Sala's defense clearly relies on being able to cover and generate pressure up front. Oh, not to mention they traded back into the first round. I almost forgot to draft Jermaine Johnson. So the Jets picked up an edge, not to mention they're going to get Carl Lawson back. So if Carl mm -hmm. Lawson is healthy, that's a big if. Suddenly you have two competent pass rushers and Quinn and Williams inside. And you've got Ahmad Gardner at corner. And suddenly you look at the Jets defense and you think, wow, this could be a legitimate like top 15 unit that maybe if they play and are coached up to the level we think they can, can border on low top 10. Like, I really don't think that's crazy to say. And then you go out and get Garrett Wilson during our wide receiver episode, I wasn't super high on him, but seeing some of the highlights they played last night on NFL Network when he got drafted, I kind of like him. He reminds me a little bit of A.J. Moore with a little bit of a bigger vertical leap. 
they could still use some bigger body wide receivers, but they still have a second, a few second round picks and a, a third, right? Even after the trade. Is that correct? Yeah, Ryan? they do. Yeah. Uh, so you could go out easily and get another big body wide receiver if you wanted to. Um, so I think the Jets overall, do I view them the same way I view like the Lions? No. But I think that they did enough that Zach Wilson has some weapons to play with. The one thing, they gambled. Everything that's coming out of New York is negative about Makai Becton right now. The fact they passed on Evan Neal at four or Iki Iquanu, to me, that that could come back to hurt you if you're Joe Douglas because if the line doesn't hold up, the line was a big reason Zach Wilson was not successful last year. He simply did not have time to throw the football last year a lot of the time. And when he got a little bit of success at the end, it was because they went to a really quick passing scheme. So you better hope the offensive line holds up and Mackay back, back then gets back because – you went defense, and I guess it's easier to sell an ownership group on an offense that looks spicy when you go six and ten, rather one that you lose a bunch of close games and your defense keeps you in most of your games, but you still end up going six and ten. I don't know if GMs survive that or not. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Jets, but. They got three good first round quality players and that can help float a roster. Yeah. And I think, you know, them passing on a tackle that early, um, you, you know, like you said, it's a really good, I think it's a really good, or, you know, like you said, and I'll add on to that. I think it's a real good indicator of how they feel about Makai Becton, um, whose name has been really surfaced you know, as a potential cut candidate, trade candidate, or if the Jets really don't believe in him or not, which sucks for me since I was a guy back to stand when a dude was coming out of Louisville. But um, yeah, it. I, I think, you know, just drafting the corner, and of course, like like Eric said, you know, last year or past couple of years, we looked at the Jets defense who started in the corner. We see a bunch of nobodies. It's adding a good corner there. Uh, and Sauce Garner, who's a long corner with some speed and can, he's real good in press coverage. I know press coverage isn't really a, a strong suit, or I guess you could say a, a, a strong preference in Robert Sala's scheme since based off a cover three scheme. Uh, but it's certainly, you know, he's still passable and still serviceable, very serviceable in zone coverage as well. So um, just getting an extra corner there, just trying to find a foundational piece there so you won't have to keep throwing out different random guys each and every week. That's certainly a good uh, first pick that the Jets made. And then you get Garrett Wilson at 10. I mean, that's, he's, you know, arguably, you know, the best wide receiver in the drafts because he's a real good route runner, has real good speed, long arms, can go up in high point, you know, footballs and contested catch situations. I mean, that's just adding another weapon for Zach Wilson in a wide receiver room that has some guys, but not some elite guy that can really uh, instill fear to defenses. Skin the guy like that just really help out that offense. That's that's a good job by them. But probably the best move, and I think you know, we'll we'll see about it in a couple of years down the road. But I think right now the best move that they made was really going up and getting Jermaine Johnson at twenty six. That's really good value. That's really good value. Jermaine Johnson was rumored to be a top five pick uh, simply because his stock was soaring leading up to the draft. So that that's insanely good value for Jermaine Johnson. Um, he's really productive, and I think he has the real um, uh, frame, uh, body work, and a real true skill set to really develop into a real passable, serviceable edge rusher. I mean, just look at his tape. It's there. It's there for him. So um, that's that's real good value, a real good first round by the Jets. Um, certainly, just going back to the tackle thing, certainly they could have gotten Evan Neal or uh, Iki Ekwangu, uh, but I still think they got real good value out of the picks that they made. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much spot on with uh, both of you, Eric and Trey, on, on kind of your thoughts on the Jets. Like surface level, nice moves. You got three really good impact rookies. You've got a young football team. You're trying to bring them up all at the same time. And, you know, you have a lot of holes. So you grab three first round players, you know, that's immediate impact. That's going to be really good. But 
kind of where I, I question or, or think, oh, maybe the Jets could have made out a little bit better uh, in some situations. It's not with the Jermaine Johnson pick. I'm agreeing with you on that, Trey. I thought that was an outstanding move to, to move up and make sure you got Johnson. But those two top 10 picks they had, you know, Sauce Gardner, you know, you guys hit on it. You know, is there a need for tackle? You know, you, you kind of wonder with Becton and George Fan even on the other side, free agent after this year. And even then, I think he's just kind of an average starting offensive tackle. So um, I like that one. And then at the receiver position, you know, they go after, they get Garrett Wilson, you know, they picked him ahead of, you know, Olave and Jamison Williams, two players I liked a little bit more than Wilson, but no issues with, with Wilson at that pick. But where I question if they could have done more is you think about a lot of the rumors that were surfacing around the NFL before the draft. There's a lot of receivers that are trying to get paid right now. We ended up seeing that during the draft, both Marquise Brown, AJ Brown get traded during the draft. We heard a bunch of rumors regarding players like DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel, Terry McLaurin. All those are, are veteran receivers that would make more of an immediate impact next year for Zach Wilson and on a team with a rookie contract deal. You have a little bit more ability to get more aggressive, go after, go trade for a veteran receiver that is, you know, a little bit, you know, more pro ready, going to help Zach Wilson a little bit better than Garrett Wilson will in year one. So I, again, I see what the Jets are doing. I thought they took good football players, but I still wonder, you know, eh, maybe they could have made a little bit better of their situation had they gone a little bit different routes with those top 10 picks. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And we'll get to the A.J. Brown trade later. And I know Trey has spots, but you're telling me the Titans wouldn't have said yes immediately if the Jets offered 10 and for A.J. Brown and 26 straight up. Like I, I It was a first that, and a third that got him. It was 18 I, and a third. I, I find that I find that very hard to believe. So it, it you know, that's a good point too. But you know. I'm a Zach Wilson fan. I, I hope he does. I hope he ends Utah up. Utah man. I, I hope he ends up doing well. The Giants now. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, Evan Neal. Dave Gettleman leaves, and immediately they address the spots that get Dave Gettleman just refused to address. They go out. They get an edge rusher, Kayvon Thibodeau. To me, he's the guy who I never understood the character questions or anything like that. He was just a freak at Oregon, produced constantly. I think it's a great pick for the Giants. I think he has a chance to have a ceiling that's higher than Aiden Hutchinson, to be completely honest with you. And they go out and they get, to me, the best offensive tackle available, just a freaky kind of athlete for his size in Evan Neal. And suddenly you look at them and you say, okay, they have some weapons on offense with Kadarius Tony. It was rumored they were shopping him around, but I don't really think he's getting traded. You've got Daniel Jones. You can give this a shot for a year with Brian Dable and maybe be average before trading some picks next year and going out to look and find a quarterback. So I think the Giants uh, did very well in this draft. Yeah, I the Giants to me were the winners of of round one. I mean, you have two top seven picks that makes a lot of sense. You're getting two elite players, and they sure did. They got on my board the players ranked two and three at at picks five and seven. You know, I had Neil ranked number two, and I had Thibodeau ranked number three. So hard to really kind of look past that. I, I loved what the Giants did, valuing the line of scrimmage, something they did not do under Dave Gettleman. And the last number of years, it seems like forever, the Giants never had a good offensive line or even defensive line. They had issues with their edge rushers. But now you combine Kayvon Thibodeau with Aziz Ojolari on the edge, and you've got a great tackle duo with Thomas and Evan Neal. I think if I'm sitting in a GM chair, what the Giants did is spot on with how I would go about constructing a roster. Let's start in the trenches. Let's start on the edges with our edge rushers and our tackles. Let's knock those out. Let's invest high resources in the draft, develop them ourselves. I mean, I, I love it. I, I think that it's it's incredible what the Giants did. And I'm sure there's still holes on the team. They, they still could use more from Kenny Galladay, who they signed a big contract for. And even some of their defensive backs, I think, you know, are still kind of developing. I like McKinney, but on that side of the ball there's still some you know cause for concern but you know how the Giants are, are starting to structure things I thought it was outstanding definitely a home run draft and uh yeah I thought the Giants to me were, were definitely the winners of uh of round one I'm so happy that Ryan said every you know if you're uh you know just going from the opinion of a general manager that you're supposed to construct your roster starting for the trenches man that's where you're supposed to start your football team man uh, getting Evan Neal, I mean, goodness gracious, dude is a freak athlete, man. I, I literally, 
first heard of the guy maybe about a year and a half ago. I saw that dude just maul dudes while he was playing out. And she said, I want that. I want to see that guy playing in the NFL. Dude's an absolute freak, man. Then they go out to get Kayvon Thibodeau, who, and, you know, like Eric said, I just don't understand why he, you know, the whole character concern, you know, facade really developed with him. I don't know what he said in interviews, you know, how NFL teams perceive him during interviews. I just don't get it. But the good thing is, is that he's going to a situation where I, I think he's going to, uh, you know, of course, get a lot of good early playing time. Uh, but he's going to be a really, you know, really focal centerpiece of the rebuild that the Giants are doing. So um, real happy for Cape on Thibodeau that he gets to land in a spot like that. And I only say that to him because I thought he was treated insanely unfairly during the pre-draft process with the whole character concern thing that came out about him. So, but yeah, I agree with Ryan. They're, they were probably the biggest winners of round one. I mean, you know, you know, just sitting back, uh, just watching how their draft development, it, it was easy to see that, you know, it was easy to come to that conclusion that they were the biggest win, the biggest winners of round one. So uh, good first round by the Giants. Um, like Ryan said, they still have, you know, tons, tons of you know, things to do. They still have ways to go, but it's a good start. Uh, and that's all you can ask for in a round one when, you know, things can get a little bit hectic and chaotic uh, usually. So good start for them. Let's we'll see if they can keep it going tonight and Saturday. Okay, to prevent this from being a two-hour podcast, now we have to start going rapid fire on some guys. So I'm going to pick a prospect in the top 10, two, in fact, and give them to uh, Ryan. And you're just going to tell me some brief thoughts on each of these guys. We'll just go over two tackles at six. Panthers take Aquanu at nine. Seahawks take Charles Cross. And then the top three tackles are off the board. Yeah, sure. I'll start with Aquanu there. You know, I, I think after watching Aquanu, like it's clear you're getting an immediate, you know, impact offensive lineman, physical bully in the run game. I, I still have questions on if he can be a long-term tackle. Um, you know, I, I really closely watched his game that he had against Florida State and his matchup with Jermaine Johnson. And, and there were definitely some reps where, where Johnson was able to kind of take advantage of him and uh, use his athleticism to kind of get around Aquanu, you know, big, big man. But, uh, you know, there are times where I kind of question if, uh, if Aquanu is, you know, rock solid in pass protection. Of course, he's a rookie. He can definitely improve with reps and whatnot. But Panthers just had a lot of holes. Offensive line was definitely a big one. So I like the fit with uh, grabbing Aquanu. You know, if it ends up being that he needs to move inside to guard, not the end of the world. You're still getting, you know, an all pro guard. Sure, that sounds good to me. So good pick. Like Aquanu, you know, all the way across. And um, speaking of cross, Charles Cross, the other tackle you were talking about there, Eric going to the Seattle Seahawks. I think he's more of kind of your traditional pass protector, you know, coming from Mississippi State's air raid offense. He pass protected quite a bit there for, for Mike Leach. So I like that Charlie Cross ends up going to Seattle. You know, they're in for a long rebuild, it sure seems. Uh, maybe not as long as some other teams, but, you know, just in kind of a retool mode, you trade away Russell Wilson. Uh, you kind of wonder where your team's kind of headed. But, you know, hey, you, you go after, you grab a, uh, a nice starting offensive lineman uh, in Charlie Cross. So like that pick for Seattle, thought it made a lot of sense for, for both of them grabbing tackles inside the top nine. Drake London gets drafted by the Falcons at eight. We can all, all comment on this if we want to. To me, I was thinking about it more. Some of these things that we say before the draft, like, I get it. Drake London wasn't the best route runner, wasn't the best at, at getting open. But I was just thinking about it more. Drake London is a great example of, like, drafting a big wide receiver because you can coach up route running. I truly believe that. You can coach someone to become a great route runner. You can coach up speed. You cannot coach up the God-given ability to just be bigger than most cornerbacks and be able to just get up and get it. So I think ultimately this is a good pick for the Falcons. He's going to have some time to develop before they're in a really pressure situation anyways. And suddenly you have Drake London and Kyle Pitts on your offense, and that's not a terrible combination. Yeah, it isn't. Um, I certainly wasn't all, you know, as high on Drake London simply because that I don't really, you know, I don't fall in love with big body go up and get it wide receivers that aren't the best route runners and aren't the fastest simply because it's hard to, uh, I guess you could say, adjust quickly in the NFL. Uh, because, look, 
college corner play, and 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 I'll and, and maybe I'm a little bit wrong on this, but college corner play. Uh, with college corner play, I think it's a way, and I think it's a little bit easier for big body wide receivers to abuse those contested catch situations simply because there's just not a lot of good, consistent college corner play. Um, not a lot of good, consistent college corner units, I guess you could say. Uh, usually it's prospect by prospect, school by school that you get these good corner prospects. And, you know, they typically play well in college, but they obviously get better once they, once they get to the NFL. But it's just not the same quality um, and, and the same challenge that you get in college. And that's obvious, but for those big body contested catch guys, and, you know, I'm just, you know, I can't really think of too many off my head that have really succeeded in the NFL. I mean, uh, of course, Randy Moss was one, Calvin Johnson, one, but those are just hall of famers, but um, big body contested catch guys. It's, it's hard to really, see them hit the ground running immediately simply because corner play in the NFL is, you know, more technical. Uh, it's a little bit more physical and you're going to get grown men who develop their bodies and uh, they're bigger and stronger than those college guys. So um, I don't know. I mean, sure. If Drake London can improve as a route runner, I think that can help offset some of the deficiencies that he has in terms of speed. Uh, but Overall, I think Drake London is really a contested catch guy that might struggle because he just doesn't have that, you know, that that extra gear or uh, that extra ounce of speed necessary to really pose multiple threats to opposing NFL defensive backs. So that's a, that's really my take on it. I might be wrong, you know, but I just don't really see the allure uh, of, you know, putting Drake London in an offense where he's the sole threat at wide receiver, you know? So of course the Falcons still have Kyle Pitts and he's a pretty good, pretty good tight end as well, but I don't know. I just would have liked the Falcons to draft maybe somebody like Garrett Wilson or somebody like Jamison Williams, or even somebody like Chris Olave, because those guys can pose multiple threats uh, to opposing DBs that Drake London simply can't right now. That's just my opinion though. Yeah, we'll, 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 it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Ra okay, rapid-fire guy here, Chris Olave. Loved this guy. To me, he was my wide receiver one for a really long time, and I, I still believe that he is. He goes to the Saints. Trey, what do you think about this move for the Saints? Uh, I think it's a good trade. Saints need a wide receiver, need one desperately. Uh, you know, aside from Michael Thomas and, you know, even Michael Thomas, he's still not a given considering that he hasn't played much over the past two years. Uh, they need a wide receiver. So um, getting the speedster, a good route runner in Chris Olave certainly will help uh, take the pressure off some of the other guys in that wide receiver room. Uh, I, I still want to see Chris Olave develop a little bit, you know, you know, in terms of getting a, a, a bigger frame. Um, just, you know, and I'm not, I'm not, can't think of his weight off the top of my head, but I, I remember looking back that his weight was pretty small for an NFL wide receiver. So just make sure you add some weight, make sure you can, you know, add some sort of resemblance of, uh, of, of an extra skill in his game to where he can help ward off, you know, defensive backs that try to take advantage of his lack of size. So um, good pick though. Uh, certainly a, a necessary pick because the Saints really need a wide receiver. So I, I like the pick. Let's yeah, I really like that fit as well. I thought Olave to the Saints was kind of like a fit, player fit that I was really kind of looking for even before the draft. I think he just kind of fits in well, really smooth route runner, be able to run in, you know, a dome. So should be able to run some really crisp routes out there in New Orleans. And, uh, you know, obviously having Michael Thomas out there that that already garners so much attention. I think Olave could have some pretty immediate success if Jameis is able to kind of get him the ball and, and not be throwing it to the other team as much. Let's take a quick break. Let's take a break. Trey. Unfortunately, the reality of human life is that someday we will all pass on. No one wants to think about it. It's an uncomfortable topic, but it's important to take care of you and your loved ones when that day comes. That's right, Eric. Fortunately for our listeners, we know of a great guy that can help you set up your wills and trusts. Absolutely, Trey. Our friend Andrew McCullough has you covered. You can find him on Twitter at AMCCU. L-L-O-U-G-H-105. His DMs are open, and he and the folks at Brindley Sullivan can help you take care 
of you and your family's estate planning needs. Don't just take our word for it, though. Here is University of Utah star and current draft prospect, Britton Covey, to tell us more. Hey guys, Britton Covey here. As my long time at the University of Utah is coming to a close, it's time for me to start thinking about my future. There's no one I trust more than Andrew McCullough at the firm of Brindley Sullivan for my estate planning needs. Give his office a call to set up a free consultation at 435-673-9220. Andrew's firm is headquartered in St. George, but he spends plenty of time along the Wasatch Front taking care of his needs. So call him and tell him that Britton Covey sent you. More info at trustyourtrust.com. I tried to hustle us through that there because I know this is going to take up a lot of time. So we're obviously not going to get to the first pick of every team because that would just be crazy. So we're going to discuss the Eagles because the Eagles did some big stuff here. And then each of us is going to pick one winner, one winner of the first round that we want to talk about. But the Eagles at 13 select Jordan Davis. Okay, that's a good selection for them. Add some size up front. Fletcher Fletcher Cox is getting older. Could be a cut candidate. But the big trade, they trade the number 18 pick and a third rounder to the Tennessee Titans, the Tennessee Titans for A.J. Brown. And I mean, this is just a perfect podcast because we have Ryan, an Eagles fan. We have Trey, a Titans reporter. Just just get together here. We'll, we'll start with Ryan. Ryan, how are you feeling? I mean, I'm doing great. I mean, that was was astonishing news. You know, just quickly commenting on on Jordan Davis first. Uh, you know, I like Jordan Davis. I think he's a little bit limited in his pass rush upside, but should fit in right in the middle of that D line as well. Like you said, I don't think Fletcher Cox gets cut because they already did cut him and restructured his contract and brought him back. So it seemed like that already happened. So Fletcher Cox should be there. You sign Hassan Reddick on the D line as well to add to Josh sweat and Derek Barnett who are still here. So really like the D line shakeup. Although when they traded up, I kind of was thinking they were going to go after Kyle Hamilton who the Ravens ended up taking next, given they have a big needed safety, but I was like, all right, you know, Jordan Davis, good player. And then yeah, the, the huge news obviously being the AJ Brown trade. Um, I didn't even know that that was like a thing that was being discussed. Um, you know, the Eagles announced after that they already ex- extended AJ Brown's contract. They sent, gave him a four year extension, which is due uh, after this upcoming year. So they're not paying him big money for this year. While I still have Jalen Hurts on a, you know, shorter uh, term deal with, uh, with less money, of course. So they're able to get AJ Brown for this year and four years after that on a big extension, definitely paid him quite a bit, but I do think that AJ Brown gives you that immediate impact and exactly what the Eagles were looking for. Uh, easy to say when, when it's one of the top receivers, I think in, in the NFL, but uh, still just 24 years old, an incredible player after the catch. It's really going to help out Devonte Smith as kind of that veteran presence. He, he has another guy on the other side that defenses are going to have to account for. You already have Dallas Goddard and Miles Sanders, some capable playmakers and, and a nice offensive line as well. So Hopefully AJ Brown fits in really nicely and absolutely love that trade, you know, especially given the fact that, you know, they could have ended up taking a, uh, you know, rookie receiver um, to an already young offense. I think that they're able to capitalize a little bit better by going after AJ Brown and already having signed that extension definitely gives you a lot of confidence that, you know, he could have a lot of good seasons in Philadelphia for years to come. Trey, Titans feels like, You specifically told me a lot of times that this was a non-story. Feels like Titans fans in general just on Twitter were like, this is a non-story. He's not getting traded. Like, no, no, no. Like, what? What happened here exactly? (laughs) What happened here is that the Tennessee Titans simply didn't want to beat A.J. Brown's number. Uh, The numbers that came out, uh, in terms of the contract that A.J. Brown got from the Philadelphia Eagles, it was four years, $100 million, $57 million guaranteed. Uh, the contract comes out to $25 million uh, annually per year, which isn't a bad uh, number for A.J. Brown, considering, you know, the importance that, you know, he brings or he provides for the Titans offense. I mean, just looking back, you know, it's, of course, just watching Titans games throughout the past couple of years, 
without A.J. Brown, uh, that Titans running game simply just wasn't, I guess you'd say, exactly the same against better competition because all defenses had to do was put some guys in the box uh, and they dared the, the, you know, the other Titans wide receivers to beat them, you know, whether it was Corey Davis or whether it was Julio Jones, if he actually was healthy there at the time. So, uh, but without A.J. Brown, I mean, the Titans now, you have Robert Woods, who, of course, I still believe is a decent wide receiver. But first off, you don't know how he's going to look post-ACL. Second, you don't even know if you're going to get him for the start of the season. I mean, a guy could start the year on the pup list and miss the first six games of the year, and then you're left with, Traylon Burks, who they selected with the 18th pick that they acquired from the Eagles, you don't know how he's going to uh, develop over the, the course of these next few months. You don't know how ready he's going to be. Uh, and you're, you know, of course, there's, I, I still think they're going to draft another wide receiver. But even if they, you know, even if they do, you know, you're still looking at some unreliable depth there. Uh, not only because of, you know, the rookie that they could potentially bring in, but because the depth that's already there simply isn't good enough for this team and his offense to stack a good, stack up against some of the best, you know, in the conference and potentially win a Super Bowl. So I, I just don't get why the Titans couldn't meet that $25 million number. Now, A.J. Brown did say earlier today, it was an article posted by Teron Davenport of ESPN, he did say if the Titans offered him $22 million, um, annually, he would have accepted it 100%, which, you know, looking at it in hindsight looks, you know, so you look at the Titans say, what are you doing? Then you look at the offer that was also an article that Teron Davenport posted. It was $16 million annually with incentives that would have boosted it up to $20 million per year. That's simply not good enough. That's not good enough. I know the Titans and John Robinson are so in love of trying to, you know, find, you know, keep some flexibility within the cap. But we keep saying this year after year after year. The cap and flexibility with the cap isn't end-all. It isn't the end-all. You can manipulate it and keep the cap situation fluid year after year if you know how to do it. The Titans simply just don't want to do that at this point. They did that with Ryan Tannehill last offseason when they brought in Julio Jones. They restructured uh, Tannehill's contract. You know, and That's why his cap hit this year is so insanely large. But you're telling me you can't? maneuver the cap throughout the rest of the year so you can keep A.J. Brown, one of the best emerging young receivers in football, resign Jeffrey Simmons, who's going to command a lot of money because he's really good, uh, potentially, you know, sign Christian Fulton to a big deal down the line if he continues his ascension. I, I just don't understand why the Titans just simply gave up and said, you know what, we're going to stick with our number of $16 million or whatever number that they had, whatever cheap number that they had, uh, and just simply just give up and toss them over to the Eagles who gave him more money. I simply just don't get it. A.J. Brown wanted to stay here. Uh, so why didn't the Titans really just put in the effort to keep him here? So now you trade away A.J. Brown and now you, you know, unreliable wide receiver death, a real weird, a real weird wide receiver situation. Ryan Tannehill has proven to be unreliable. You still have a hole at left tackle or left guard, depending on if the Titans really like Jamarco Jones at left guard or right tackle. Uh, and you just don't know how many years you still have left with Derrick Henry. I mean, this was the window. Last year was the Titans' opportunity to win, to, you know, potentially go for a Super Bowl run. Brian Tannehill's three interceptions sort of low-key ruined it, but they still had the framework and the room to really continue what they were doing if they made the right moves. Getting rid of A.J. Brown is not one of those right moves, man. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it just baffles me. It really baffles me. I'm not sitting here complaining and sounding agitated because, you know, oh, my goodness, sucks that A.J. Brown traded. I'm sitting here agitated because I hate incompetence. Like, I hate when people just do the absolute worst things possible when, you know, a, a more reasonable, concrete solution is right there in front of you. Just simply pay the guy. It's not hard. Just pay the guy. So uh, I don't know what the Titans are really doing at this point. Um, they could get a wide receiver tonight, but even then, it's just the whole wide receiver situation would still just be insanely fluid and insanely uh, maybe a little bit unreliable throughout the year. We'll just see how that why, how that situation develops, but that's just a bad move. Real bad move by the Titans. Bad management. You know, John Robinson and Mike Rabel said they went, went to the extreme to keep A.J. Brown, uh, but the extreme of keeping A.J. Brown is keeping him. Keeping one, keeping, you know, your young star wide receiver, one of the best emerging talents in football. So 
I don't know what the Titans are doing. <laughs> I still, I'll still say it's a, it's a bad move. It's a real bad, horrible move for them. Uh, but we'll see how it how it develops. Uh, but the optics for them is not looking good for them right now. Sorry, that went a little, sorry that went a little long. But it's just, I just, I had to low for that. It's like I just hate incompetence like that. In all honesty. No, it's. I mean, it's it's a strange move by the Titans. They pick up Traylon Burks as a replacement. I think Traylon Burks could be pretty good, but will he be AJ Brown? Who knows? Uh, maybe in two or three years, but to me, he projects as more of kind of a wide receiver too, whereas AJ Brown's just kind of a flat out like wide receiver one. Yeah, and and I was talking about it last night. People are starting to fall way too in love with the whole idea of projections over proven results. We see, you know, so many teams just throw away different players because they believe this player can project to do this and that. You and, and, it, and it differs from every situation. But in this specific situation, proven production triumphs. And I mean triumphs, towers over projection and potential. I, I, I like Traylon Burks. I love his skill set. It's a real physical wide receiver. Uh, has a real extra gear that you just don't see big body wide receivers having, you know, typically. Even, you know, despite, you know, wide receiver talent getting more crazy, uh, crazy and crazier as the years go by. But I just still don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it, man. Yeah. Uh, on the other side, I will just say this. I know you're excited, Ryan. Get it's AJ Brown and Devontae Smith, but Jalen Hurts is still the quarterback. And I know you're higher on Jalen Hurts than a lot of people, but to me, oh, I think pretty much everybody. I'm higher but, on Jalen Hurts. But to else. me, I watch I watch Jalen Hurts, <laughs> and it's like, okay, you're fine, but like ultimately, are you really that good? This will be a good chance to prove if he's really that good or not, yeah. because. They have picks next year in the first round. And Ooh. if they, if they, if, if he even, even if they make the playoffs and it's just because the NFC East is weak, like the NFC East is always weak, like it's probably time to go draft a quarterback or get a new quarterback and, and surround him with these weapons. Like they, they were rumored to be in on Russell Wilson this offseason. Like, Okay, you've put together a good package. You have put together a really good package here with Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown and Miles Sanders and all your great running backs and a coach who honestly has a pretty good offensive scheme. But if you lose in the wild card round next year, like you better hope that you're getting rid of Jalen Hurts because you're you're not going to get, he is, he is what he is. Like he, I don't think he's going to get that much better, but still. Yeah, no, actually that's where I'll stop you. Eric. Eric, Jalen Hurts has gotten better every year of his career since his freshman year at Alabama. Like he, if you watch Jalen Hurts his freshman year at Alabama, this guy couldn't throw a pass. Like literally Alabama would not trust Jalen Hurts to throw the football more than a screen. And then every year since then, including his senior year at Oklahoma, he, he gets with Lincoln Riley, starts throwing downfield shots to guys like CeeDee Lamb. And then you've seen him in the NFL. He's developed in from his first year where he just came on at the end of the season, taking over for Carson Wentz last year, his first full year as a starter, had a little bit of time where he got injured. Of course, he's a, you know, he's a running quarterback for sure. Definitely has an ability to make an impact play with his legs, but I think he has improved every year as is uh, his throwing ability the last five or six. So it's really kind of up to him if he can continue to do that. If he continue to take a step up from last year, his first full year as a starter, I think he could be that guy. And I think the weapons around him, it gives you a reason to believe that he could be. Now, I'm not saying he's, you know, the, you know, Patrick Mahomes by any means. He's certainly not. He's got a long way to go. It certainly couldn't, you know, may not be the long-term answer that you want to pay financially, invest in financially. It didn't work out last time the Eagles decided to do that with a quarterback. That was Carson Wentz. Did not work out. So I think there definitely would be reason for concern if the Eagles season does not go the way they are expecting, which should be at least a division title. I think they should expect to be winning the NFC East next season ahead of a team like Dallas and expect to, you know, take a step up from where they did last year, which was a wild card exit, as you referred to there. Eric. So I do have confidence that Hertz can continue and improve because he's shown it every year of his career so far to this point, the weapons around him are better, but to your point as well, 
if it does not happen, if Hertz continues to, you know, have times where he's inconsistent as a passer, struggles to read defenses, maybe he has a few more injuries since he's a running quarterback. It's definitely someone they could look to continue to move on. Maybe it's a trade up for a rookie quarterback next year with two first run picks. Maybe it's go after a guy like Kyler Murray, who's yet to sign his extension with Arizona. I think they'll have options, but I do have reason to believe that Hertz can continue to get better because he's shown that in his career. Okay. Rapid fire. One winner from the first round. I'll go first. To me, you know, I just like, there's there's nothing I love more than just the way the Baltimore Ravens run a football team. They're just like such a solid team from year to year. They made really good signings in free agency. They only made three real signings. They brought back Calais Campbell. They made some offseason moves. And then on top of all of that, they go out, they get Kyle Hamilton to add to Marcus Williams. What a safety tandem that is. That's maybe the best safety combo in the NFL already. They're going to get their cornerbacks back and be healthy. They get Tyler Linderbaum. I know they trade Hollywood Brown. I get that. But for what that offense was, they didn't use him properly anyways. It's a run-first offense. That is what Lamar Jackson has designed it to be. I know he's upset on Twitter right now, but like, Lamar, you have made your career by being a running quarterback. They invested in that. They got Tyler Linderbaum, who could be at a Pro Bowl center. They upgraded the offensive line. They're going to get all their running backs back healthy. Like, honestly, I know the AFC North is tough. I know that potentially Deshaun Watson is going to be playing for the Browns. I know that Joe Burrow exists. But I think the Ravens defense can neutralize every single offensive weapon in that division. And to me, they're the favorites to win it right now. I just love what the Ravens have done this offseason. To me, outside of maybe like the Broncos or a team that got a quarterback, they are the offseason champions. Just a great offseason by them. Loved what they did in the first round. Yeah, I think that's definitely warranted. I, I love how the Ravens operate too. They've always been a team where they've been really, really strong in the draft. A lot of times they take guys from, you know, kind of those big programs. Like I feel like for a while they would always take guys from Alabama, but here they take, you know, a, a starting safety multiple years at Notre Dame, Kyle Hamilton, guys played well and in, in some big games. I had him ranked as my sixth best prospect in the draft to grab him at 14, incredible value. And then on the Linderbaum side, Iowa turns out offensive linemen as good as any program in college football. And Linderbaum is a multi-year starter. Played very good. Incredible run blocker. As you said, that's a primary scheme for the Ravens now. They're going to be wanting to run the ball with Lamar Jackson, with J.K. Dobbins, with Gus Edwards, guys that are coming back. So, I mean, I had Linderbaum ranked as my 14th best prospect, and they grab him at 25. So, two outstanding picks. I echo everything you said. You know, Ravens, they do it right. They're, they're very well coached, and uh, they've got great scouts that, you know, have an impact on their team, and, and I think they do an outstanding job year after year. Uh. There's so many teams that, or there are more than a handful of teams that had good first round uh, draft plans. So it's really hard to settle on one, but I'm going to stray a little from the path. I'm going to say Mr. Aaron Rodgers is the winner and, and not in the way that you think. Mr. Aaron Rodgers time and time again has asked for a wide receiver, man, a, a high profile wide receiver prospect. And the Packers didn't get a single one of the six that got drafted last night. Not a single one, man. Uh, he was literally on the Pat McAfee show talking about how uh, he wanted Traylon Burks. Goes at 18 to the Titans and trade up to get him. The Packers instead opt for some, uh, I, I believe they got Devontae Wyatt, who's a pretty good um, interior defensive lineman from yeah. Georgia. Um, it was, I, didn't they make one more first round? Yeah, they also got Quay Walker. Also Quay Walker, yes. Yeah. Linebacker from Georgia. Two good players in their own right. But the Packers still did get a wide receiver. <laughs> and Aaron Rodgers has literally been on their case time and time again and just about getting them help. Uh, even with Devontae Adams, was there, Aaron Rodgers wanted help. So now that Devontae Adams is gone, that wide receiver core is looking kind of suspect. You know, they, they have Sammy Watkins, Alan Lazard, still have Amari Rodgers, but none of those guys are really game breakers and are moving the needle for you. So, Mr. Aaron Rodgers, you're a winner for proving the Packers right again.
in terms that they simply just don't want to draft the first round wide receiver to give you some help, bud. So congratulations. Hey, but enjoy your $200 million. I mean, you gave up all the leverage you had in the world. You could have, you know, you basically could have, uh, I, I'm tired of getting calls during this podcast. Um, <laughs> I, you could like, you could have leveraged your way into a contract holdout. You could have forced a trade, but no, you said, I'll take my $200 million and congrats. Now you're trapped because no one's going to trade a bunch of picks for an almost 40 year old quarterback who has $200 million to his cap name attached. And there's no way the Green Bay Packers are trading you and eating that money. So I guess enjoy early retirement. Just the, the way you've missed man, mismanaged the entire back half of your career, Aaron Rodgers, is somewhat amazing to me. Now, I still love you as a player, and I'm going to still watch Aaron Rodgers' masterclasses on Sunday Night Football, and I'm sure the offense sure. will be I'm sure the offense will be fine. I'm sure the offense will be fine. I'm sure somehow they'll end up 13 and three, but again, have fun losing in the divisional round. What? Well, I, I mean, uh, the Packers, here. the Packers are just the Packers. And by the way, I disagree with what you both said. I don't think they got good players. They reached on both their picks. I thought not Devontae yeah. Wyatt. Devontae Wyatt's a good football player, man. Yeah, Wyatt Wyatt's pretty good. He can rush the passer. And I even yeah. think Quay Walker was pretty underrated. I think most people yeah. had N'Kobe Dean higher than Walker, yeah. including myself. But I still was a huge fan of Quay Walker. I had first round grades on both of those guys. Yeah. Plus, okay. with Aaron Rodgers, he's rich and he's right now. I mean, just, that's two things, man. Two I guess. Things. I mean, I guess if you don't like winning Super Bowls, have fun being Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. All right, Ryan, wrap, to the wrap it up. Let's try to get out of here under two hours. Ryan, who's your draft winner? From yeah, I mean, it's easy to pick those round. teams that had, uh, you know, multiple first round picks, but I'll give you a team that only had one first round pick and I thought did a nice job. I'm going to go with the, the LA Chargers. They grabbed Zion Johnson. You know, it's easy to kind of overlook taking a guard, but I think you could very well argue that Zion Johnson was the best interior offensive lineman in this class. And of course, they were very aggressive this offseason. They realized they have a quarterback on a rookie deal, very proactive, went out and got guys like JC Jackson and Khalil Mack for that defense. They throw Zion Johnson, give a little bit more protection on the offensive side of the ball for Justin Herbert thought that was a great move. And I think the chargers are really kind of gearing up for a loaded division. They're going to be in some, some bloodbaths this upcoming year, but I think they put themselves in a good spot. And I thought Zion Johnson was definitely one of the more underrated picks for a team that only had one pick in round one, but thought the chargers made up pretty good with uh, grabbing the BC guard there. Yeah. Can't leave out the saints either. They get Chris Olave, they need a wide receiver and they go out and get Trevor Penning who, yeah. Many didn't really know too much about until he started putting on a show at the Senior Bowl simply by getting at people in defensive linemen's heads, finishing off plays, and being a nasty, nasty offensive lineman. So uh, the Saints had a need to tackle. They lost to Ron Armstead. Um, who knows if Trevor Penning is actually going to actually play tackle in the league. Uh, there's some questions about his ability to play there and if he might need to switch inside to play guard. But, yeah, you get Chris Olave, you get a nasty uh, – developmental well not developmental but a, a, a nice offensive tackle prospect in Trevor Penning who can still develop into a real good uh, real good serviceable and real good nice uh, offensive lineman for you so I, I'll take this chance to my draft one all right that'll do it all right <laughs> we we did it we we covered the first round of the NFL draft I know there were more picks but I figure Sunday we can get to more detail about some of the first round picks we missed because now teams with only one pick will start to compile players and maybe we'll see some nice little trends yep. for Broncos pick today I'm very excited I'm gonna have to wait until the very last pick of the second round but at least we get a second round pick <laughs> uh, I don't know what they're gonna do but I hope they pick a good player uh, I'm just happy that we have a quarterback so it's gonna be okay. alright folks Thanks for listening. We will see you Sunday evening. Peace out.